Welcome to Recognize Your Truth. I am your host, Lisa Williams. This is the podcast that offers motivation and inspiration to act, speak, and think in ways that make a positive impact on your life. Each week, we bring you a message or a guest that offer you tools to live up to your full potential. I literally pinch myself every time I record a new podcast. This is a dream that has been eight years in the making, and I'm so grateful that you are spending a part of your day with me. Hey, Tuan, thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, how are you doing, Lisa? Thank you for having me. Um, I am so excited to talk to you. You know, we have connected through John Maxwell about seven or eight months ago, and I have followed your story and you know, listen to you and we've, we've connected on Facebook and I'm just so excited to have you on my podcast so I can really have my listeners, you know, hear your story because I feel like it's so impactful and so powerful. So I think we should just dive right in and why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? So I, I like using the word transformational impact. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then I'll add the coaching part of it. So transformational impact coach, what does that look like, Tuan? I take people that are ordinary to extraordinary, from average to excellence, from impressive to impactful. And I do that through my coaching program. Nothing more, nothing less. But that's kind of like my quick little snap there that I like kind of just starting off with. Because I, I think a lot of times when you ask a person, what's that one word or one phrase that really defines who you are? And it was a great question for me, and I, I think transformational impact. I agree. And, and, you know, I personally know your story because I've heard it, and you're going to share it here on my podcast, but it, it's so meaningful when you say transformational impact because, you know, as we unpack your story, I think my, my listeners will, will understand why that you chose those, those words. Oh, absolutely. There's just so much to it. Like, uh, and I don't, I don't even, I'm so excited right now, Lisa, I don't even know where to start. So let me just pass the <laughs> microphone back to you and let's, I'll let you guide it. Okay. So, you know, I heard your story at John Maxwell, you, you spoke on stage. And so let's just kind of go back, you know, maybe I, I know you're going to share this, that you were in prison. And so let's kind of go back to what got you to where you were in, in going into prison? Let's start there. Okay. So I, I want to, I, I love telling stories and I love using illustrations. So one of my favorite scenes was from the movie Alice in Wonderland. Okay. And okay. In this scene, she's, wa she's walking on this deserted path and that's where she runs into this fork in the road. And she has this divine encounter with the Cheshire cat. Right. And she asked the cat, which road should I take, right? And uh, yeah. you like that voice? Yeah, I've yeah. been working on it. And um, the cat says, well, where are you going? And she says, well, I really don't know. And the cat responds and says, well, I guess it really doesn't matter then, Alice. And I love telling that story because I grew up in this very high performance driven Asian culture where I grew up thinking that maybe I was supposed to be like a doctor or something. Uh-huh. I used, to hear, I used to hear this so much, Lisa, that Tuan, you have great potential. You have great potential, great potential. And it was like a broken record that was just blasting on repeat all the years of my life growing up. But the sad reality on why I tell this story of Alice in Wonderland and running across that fork in the road was, number one, I didn't know 
what kind of potential I had. And neither did anyone else around me. Okay. Okay. So in my pursuit of finding what this hidden potential looked like, I got involved with gangs. I started doing drugs. I was addicted to drugs. I started selling drugs. Okay. Okay. And not only that, did I mention that crystal meth was my drug of choice? Wow. Oh, yeah. Wanted to throw that in there, too. It's kind of like, you know, um, because that's a very, I mean, that was foundational back then in my life was, you know, just, I don't like sharing that, but why am I comfortable sharing that now? Well, I know where I'm going. Right, right. But back then when, see, back then when my failures became a monument instead of a stepping stone, I concealed them. I don't, I don't share that part of my life. But now it's, I look at failures as a stepping stone. Now I have embraced failure as my friend and not my foe. Right. I love that. And that changes the whole mindset of what failing forward looks like versus just failing and staying there. But yeah, that, that, that ultimately right there was, was what I was looking for as a child was I was looking for a model of leadership. And I love using the Cheshire cat because now I'm a coach and I love saying, you know what that Cheshire cat represents, Lisa? What? That, char- that Cheshire cat represents the worst life coach in history. <laughs> and, and, right. and, let me, and let me tell you why. Because that coach, that, that Cheshire cat gave up on Alice after asking one question. That cat asked, well, where are you going? And since Alice didn't know, that cat gave up on her just like that. Right. And, and one, thing I realized, uh, one thing I realized today, Lisa, is it's not that men and women lack ability. It's men and women lack ability to recognize another person's ability. I, I agree with you. Yeah. So all these people are telling you that you're, you have potential, and, but nobody's showing you how to use that potential. Absolutely. Or guiding you or walking you through some steps to, to use that potential. So let's go back and, you know, cause I'm all about unpacking your mindset and really honing in on what that looks like. So what are you thinking while you're in gangs and selling drugs and doing drugs? Like, are you thinking I, I'm not going to amount to anything, so I might as well just do this? Or are you thinking this is this is what I need to be doing because this is in the environment of of what's the best for me? I mean, tell me a little bit about what you're thinking. I think what happened when I was in middle school, I started middle school and I started, I used to be a straight A student on a roll. Like my parents probably had such high expectations of me when I got out of elementary school. But remember, when you step into middle school, it's a whole different ball game now. Right. Like now I'm, I'm concerned about what my hair looks like, my <laughs> shoes, my clothes. I have to have name brand stuff now. I mean, it was such a big shift and I wasn't prepared for this. Like, I mean, there wasn't like, I didn't have a coach showing me, okay, you're about to go through this transition right now to middle school. So be careful of branding yourself the right way now because you need to be cool. Oh, no. right. Like we didn't have that. And so, since my, my parents really didn't have a model of leadership for me at that time because they were so invested. Remember, my parents came from Vietnam, came over here with nothing, no education or nothing. So their idea of the American dream is we're going to provide education for you and you're going to become a doctor or do something with a career that's going to produce six figures. That's right. the typical Asian American dream is we're going to work hard. You're going to go to school and this is what you're going to become. Nothing more, nothing less. Right, right. Um, so in that pursuit, 
I failed so horribly into middle school that now I stayed within that failure now because okay. now I felt like I couldn't have, I couldn't live up to their expectations because now my grades started dropping and instead of embracing the failure and failing forward I stayed within that failure and then I started finding comfort in other things because I needed that validation and I didn't know that at that time but that's how I started in getting involved with gangs and drugs at that time. So, you know, one of the things we talk about all the time is you attract where you are. And so as you're growing up as, you know, this young kid, you know, that's what you're attracting because that's what you're feeling about yourself. And so right. you're, and then maybe that gave you, you know, as you're, you're getting into gangs, it just gave you that sense of belonging and that sense of community right or wrong it just gave you that comfort absolutely i felt valued right that's all i right right and so something was missing from from you from your own self where you weren't feeling that you know you you weren't able to empower your own self and and feel that validation and so you're looking for other ways to validate yourself whether they are healthy ways or unhealthy ways. And so you're, you're going through that. Okay. So take me through. So you, you get into gangs, you get into drugs and, um, walk me through, you know, as you're growing up, what that is looking like and, and how you're, how you're living your life. You know, I, um, I had, I remember my parents sent me to military school. Okay. <laughs> and it was probably one of the most devastating things that, that, uh, transpired because I was I was I was 13 years old at that time wow and so they I mean I got kicked out of school and nothing seemed to work you know my, my mom was so busy trying to fix me and there was a lack of connection so that that's where you can't correct someone until you first connect connect with them and that's yeah. why in coach you see why coaching is so valuable is like hey don't we we need to learn how to ask great questions first because I gotta first find you before I can lead you, then I can empower you. Right. But for so many of us, we don't, we forget the finding part. We just try to lead and empower you. And I mean, I'm completely lost right now. And so any bit of correction is not gonna really help until you first find me. Right. And that's the connecting. So go to middle school, I mean, go to military school. And of course that turned out to be just straight rebellion now because now I hate you. Right, right. <laughs> how, how could you love me? and send me away. I'm 13 years old, you know? Wow, you're so young at that time. I mean, and I, so you're from Texas, right? Right. Here's how it went down. My mom just woke me up in the middle of the winter time and we've been going through like different private schools, uh, seeing if they would accept me and I would just turn every school down. And then finally she woke me up, she woke me up in, in, in the midst of December, I think. And she goes, hey, get ready. We're gonna go check out this private school. And I'm thinking, okay, cool. We're going to go check out another uh, bougie private school here in Texas somewhere. <laughs> and I'm going to go in there and I'm going to tell them to, you know, F off or whatever, you know, excuse my so-called language. But right. yeah, because that's, that's how my mindset was as a child was, you know, forget this. I don't want to be here. And we got in the car and uh, we started driving. And one hour turned into two hours, three hours turned into five hours. And now we're like a long way from home. Wow. That's when I asked my mom, because I started seeing snow. And when you start seeing snow 
in Texas, you're like, okay, we're, we're a long way from Houston now. And I said, mom, where the heck is this school at? And I'll never forget that moment where she just pulled out this brochure. I wish I had one. And on that brochure was a picture of this kid in a military school outfit. And it said, St. John's Military School, Salina, Kansas. We're going to Kansas, son. And I'm dropping you off. And that moment was like, I mean, fear, abandonment, I'm just bitterness, hate. I mean, hatred, like all these things as a 13 year old is going through my mind right now. And it was like, how could you do this to me? To me, yeah. In my mom's mind, it was like, I love you so much that I'm willing to send you away. Right. And you see how that there's a barrier right there? Yes, because there's not a connection. Right. I didn't see right. that. Right. Right. So I, I think I harbored that for so long when I was sent away. And even to the point where I started growing up into my teens, that just led me more into just rebellion uh -huh. because that pain was never dealt with well and you're feeling this abandonment and so you 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 feel left alone secluded you know no one cares for me and so then you're looking like you said and like we we just discussed for other ways to feel included to feel valued right. yeah Absolutely. okay so you know you grow up you go to military school you now t take me now you're out of school and t take me where where that leads you it just got worse that's all it was you know the one thing i can't say that i learned in military school was i discovered i had leadership potential all right so as a 13 year old i was a squad leader i was a platoon sergeant so i had influence already i, I knew how to communicate i was very good at persuading people people loved being around me so i can't say that God had something good in the midst of that. So right. I did discover that I was a leader. I just needed a lot of development. And so that was like my first experience of what leadership looked like at a very young, young age. age. Yeah. But what I ended up doing with that leadership ability was I took it and I just went back to the streets now. And because I was still trying to find my place of value. Right. And I went back to uh, the gangs, the drugs, and at the age of 17, I went to jail for my first uh, first drug possession case. And then from there, I went on probation for about four years, completed that. But that didn't change. You know, I, I was still living the same lifestyle. Now, uh, the only thing that I did different was I was planning out when my drug tests were. And then if I could bypass that, then I'd be good. You'd be good. Okay, yeah. so now you're you're in your mid twenties. You're still on, the, you know, going to the streets, drugs. You know, I'm sure usage is getting heavier and heavier at that point, and I'm sure you're diving deeper into, you know, how to make a dollar by selling it and gangs. And so, you know, I met you not quite a year ago, but tell me, you know, kind of lead me up to what what went on from your your mid twenties until until the present day, because we have something that I want to celebrate with you, but we'll kind of get there right. as well. Okay. Let me try to speed it up and try to compress it. Okay. I went to prison for about 10 years in the midst of finding myself. And I didn't go to prison just once. I went to prison twice, three times. Wow. Three times, three times totaling up to 10 years. Okay. Okay. So from okay. my mid twenties all the way to my, mid thirties, I was in and out of prison. Okay. That's gotta be a hard life. 
living, living that. And, and when you're out of prison, what do you do? Where do you go? You know, when I remember, okay, so my first time when I went to prison, I was scared. I mean, like, you know, there's not a lot of Asian people in prison. So it's predominantly ran by Hispanics and blacks. And then, so you, you, you have that, that race, the race war there, you know, whites and Mexicans. And so me coming in as an Asian, like, I didn't know. And so even in that, right. Even so here's the thing I had to get coached. So, you know, they have people coach you, you know, while you're in jail on like, here, here's what you need to do when you get to prison. So here I am like in my early twenties, like, okay, I'm like this scrawny little Asian kid, you know, about to go to prison for, for drugs. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And you know what the crazy thing was? I went to prison and I ended up joining a Mexican gang. Yeah. Because you wanted to feel that sense of belonging and that sense of community. Right. And I, I, and I felt like I needed, and so it wasn't just all Mexicans, but I mean, it was Mexican, some, some white people in there, but it was, it was because where I was from, you know? Right. And from Houston, like this whole clique was, you know, from Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin. And so they did, we, we linked up and then, yeah, we're connected. And so it was just another place to belong. But then of course, like, once again, there's that leadership thing again, we look at. Right. And since I didn't have a plan for my life, I fell under the plans of anyone else that had influence over me. Right. Because you're just taking, I mean, if you're not, if you're not planning, you're going to just absorb somebody else's plan and be part of their plan. You know, they're just going to drag you along for the ride or, or take you along with them until you come up with what your true plan is. So I'm going to, um, I, when, when I met you, you had told a story about how you were reading John Maxwell material and making these phone calls to get coached from prison. So tell me a little bit about that story. Let's share that because I think it's so powerful that you had something in you, some kind of determination or will or resiliency to keep pushing. And so I want to know what transformed you to start doing that? What was the, what was the shift and, and what did that look like? Right. So leading into my third incarceration, every time I left prison, I didn't really leave with a plan. I left with faith. Okay. okay? So I had faith, which was great, but faith without vision usually leads you right back where you started. And so here I am coming out of prison my second time. I had faith, which was great. Didn't have a vision. And so I only lasted about a year and a half where I started going back to those places where I found value again. And you know what it stemmed from, Lisa? It was because I had a very poor self-image of myself, which would not allow me to be surrounded with eagles. So I always went back to the chicken coop. Right. And I love using that because I was that guy that was stuck in his comfort zone because I didn't feel valued enough to step out of my comfort zone into that zone of discovery because of my fear of failure. And so I was like that chicken that often just stepped out the coop, the, the chicken coop and just looked at everybody else soaring. And I had the appearance of looking like I could fly because I had wings. But then I said, nah, I can't do that. I'll just go back. I'll just go back to the chicken coop. Right. And at least there, I have a place of worth because I surrounded myself in an env- with a people or in an environment 
that were lower than me because I used them to push me and elevate me up right. to this right. standard. And isn't it was that, good for me. Isn't that interesting how we use people to elevate ourselves when we don't know how to empower our own selves? So we use the people around us to, to make that happen. Right. To, to esteem us, to empower us. And really it's, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I mean, you have to empower yourself, as you know, and it's only, I mean, and, and you have, you know, such a powerful story that we're going to continue to talk about, but it's only through really diving deep. And I know for me and in, in getting a coach and, and going through coaching, it, it's really figure, asking the right questions to figure out who you really want to be. And like you go back to your story of Alice in Wonderland and well, it doesn't matter which road you take. And so nobody's there to kind of hold your hand and walk you through it. So like for you, as I'm hearing, you're continuing to perpetuate what you knew best to do because nobody is really lifting you up and, and trying to pull you out of that, nor are you doing it for yourself. Right. Right. And th so that was the whole question. Like I often use this, I, I often ask this question, what's the greatest question that was never asked of you? And I have so many questions that were never asked of me that I always ask people now. Right. And one of them is like, Tuan, who are you? Right. What do you mean? Uh, Tuan, what is your dream? My dream? I don't know. I thought I was supposed to be a doctor. At least that's what my parents told me. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. What, what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Legacy? What, legacy, is that? what does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? Like, I mean, uh, you know, um, uh, have a good career and retire. Right. You know, but leading leading into my 16-year sentence, I got busted with uh, over a pound of meth at that time. So I just kept on scaling up and up. You know, my self-image was tied to the streets. I had this fascination that I was going to be the coolest Asian drug dealer in the world. <laughs> it was and that's where I got stuck at. So my poor self-image of, it wouldn't allow me to be around successful people. Uh -huh. So I stayed in that environment. And I always knew I had a calling upon my life, Lisa. And when I was sitting in that cop car, just knowing that God's grace was upon my life this whole time, and it didn't matter how far I would run from God, like his calling is irrevocable in my life. Like I felt like, um, I felt like the story of Jonah, if you know that one, where he was running away from God and he ends up being in the belly of a whale because he was running from his calling. Right. And I felt at that moment where I was in that cop car where I was like, okay, Lord, let's, I don't know how much time I'm going to do, but I just told him, I said, okay, I'm going to quit running from you and I'm going to do this and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to do what I can. And that 16 year sentence turned out to be a five year a five-year sentence where I'm still on probation right now. But in those five years, what I discovered was this. Why did I often come back to prison? And it's simple. I wanted to be discovered by the world. I wasn't willing to be developed. Okay. And that was where God had to show me that, hey, I got to put you in the dark room where you have to go into obscurity for a season. Because I already discovered you. And the only way the world's going to discover you is let me develop you into becoming versus being conforming to everything else that you've been accustomed to. And in those five years, I started honing in and I started learning about personal growth and development. And that's when I started reading John Maxwell books. And I was like, okay, so this is what personal growth and development looks like. This is what leadership looks like 
let me spend my time focusing on my strengths and not my weaknesses. Right. And then I started, I think the biggest thing for me was when I started understanding what my gift was. And so though we were born as originals, most of us became imitators. And that's what I was doing. Since right. I didn't know my gift, I didn't know my purpose. I was nothing but an imposter. Right. Right. You know, I, I was an imitator. And then I started discovering that my gift is what's going to make room for me. And it was what made me valuable. I remember when I got out last time, Lisa, this is a, a, a very profound moment I wanted to share with you. I started finding value in this job that I had. Okay. Okay. And, I, and so I, I put all my value and all my confidence in this job because it had benefits and, and it paid me like, you know, something decent coming out of prison. And right. that's, that was my worth. But I remember when I got laid off, I lost my value instantly. Right. Because you put it all into a thing and not in yourself. Right. So here's what happened. So what God was showing me when I came back to prison was that job didn't make you valuable. Right. Right. And another time where I was riding around in this 100, it was like $150,000 Bentley. Okay. So God showed me this picture when I was in prison too, where I, you know, I was driving this Bentley, which was worth like, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Right. I had these shades on Versace shirt down. And, you know, typically at a red light, I might roll down the window just to let you know that, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm worth cool. something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm cool. Right. And God showed me, he goes, look at that. And then he showed me that he goes, everything that I did back then was placed on this outward appearance. Right. And that was my measure of success. And then I often use that story now because I, I drive a 2000, uh, 2004 runner right now with like close to 200,000 miles. And it's not the car that's valuable. It's right. the person that's driving that of makes course. the car valuable, you know, and now I can pull up to a red light and roll down the window and be like, Hey, I'm here. What's yeah. up? Right. Cause it's all about you. Not, not what you have on the outside. Right. Right. Isn't that yeah. amazing that us as human beings on, you know, in a physical body, it, it's, it takes such power to learn that because we want to compare ourselves to others. Money drives us, items and things and tangible objects drive us. And really what we just need to look in inside of ourselves and figure out that's what really where the beauty is, is when we figure out that we can drive ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to wrap this up by it's one year today that you've been out of prison. What right. Uh, oh, okay, so I want you to tell me what has that year looked like for you? Okay, so November 27th was when I stepped out of Prison Fellowship Academy, and that's when I joined the John Maxwell team, uh, decided, you know what, my dream is to be a leadership speaker, coach, and trainer. That's That's all I knew at that time because I knew that – at that point in my life, I was like, okay, I know my purpose now. My purpose was to go back to be a voice for the prisons. Okay. Because in the way I got transformed into becoming, uh, becoming a, a leader, I wanted to come back because the missing element I saw there that God showed me was everything's great. The missing element in prisons is leadership development. No one's doing it. Right. Right. And so I said, okay, I'm going to be that catalyst instead of just waiting around for change. I'm going to be the change agent. So I went from there, uh, my first year out, 
started a nonprofit called Prison Transformation Initiative, which is geared towards impacting prison culture through leadership and communication. I mean, I launched my, uh, me and April Holly, which is my business partner, launched another business called Movement 21 Empowerment, which is our speaking and coaching where we use the John Maxwell resources to really help coach and develop others into their calling. And uh, since then, uh, I mean, there's been so many things. Uh, a, a highlight for me just that have just recent happened recently was getting to come back to the same unit I left from with the CEO of John Maxwell Enterprises, Mark Cole, my mentor, where through the power of just having vision and knowing who you are, we attract who we are. You said that. You yeah. Know, we don't want to attract what we want, but we attract who we are. And so right. for me to be uh, fresh home, less than a year to have Mark Cole, the CEO of John Maxwell company say, hey, I'm gonna come to prison with you and I'm gonna come in and whatever you need me to do, let's do it. And I said, hey, can you do a keynote speech? And it was cool because you were there in March where I got to share the stage with Mark Cole in front of 3000 people. Right. And not even a year after that here, through just the power of vision and someone believing in me, I said, hey, Mark, I got a prison fellowship graduation where I'll probably be one of the highlighted speakers. I would love for you to come share the stage with me inside prison. Wow. He said, he said yes. He said, he said yes. And he brought his wife and we went in there and, and it was so cool because in that moment where he came in and he spoke and he, and he just really highlighted my story and he spoke to the inmates, I got to watch mentorship at one of the highest levels ever because they set up this camera outside the prison in front of the barbed wire. And here we are standing outside me and Mark Cole, one of the most iconic leaders in the world right now. I mean, right next to John Maxwell. And we're doing an interview just back and forth like we're doing right now. And it wasn't scripted. It wasn't scripted. But in that moment, me just standing side by side with him made me so much greater. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, I have chill bumps, just you sharing, you know, where, where you are today. And I, I want to just acknowledge you, Tuan, for a couple of things. First of all, your vision, your goals, your determination, and your leadership. Because, I mean, as you're telling me your story, and as I'm hearing, you know, this little boy in, um, in middle school to military school to gangs, you had that leadership skill all along. You just didn't place it in the right, you just weren't placing it in the right area. And so I love that, you know, I met you almost a year ago and you got out of prison a year ago and you've transformed not only your life, but you're taking what you've done and what you've learned and you want to impact and transform other people's lives because you know the power and the beauty of that. So I, I want to acknowledge you for that because I, I just think it's, it's just so special. Thank you. It's, uh, it's been one of the most fulfilling journeys that, I, that I've gone through, like just, uh, just through personal growth and development. Like I can't stress that. I mean, I can't stress that uh, enough. And I think you can definitely attest to that. Sure. That when I started really investing in myself, then I was able to make an investment into other people. Like, right. I, I love using this right here was 
90% of leaders never develop any other leaders for the simple fact that leaders have to first get developed. And so you have a lot of leaders that are in position right now that have no way of transferring what they have because they've never been developed. Right. And so I've come to realize that leadership is just simply power. But when you go into great leadership or true leadership, that's empowerment. Right. Right. You know, teaching others what you know. Right. So thank you so much for sharing your story, for being vulnerable, for being willing to jump on this podcast and, and really dive deep with me. I, I really, I thank you so much. Absolutely. It was, it was my pleasure and honor to be featured on your show. So thank you so much, Lisa, for having me. If you like what you hear and you want to know more information, you could contact me at Lisa at recognizeyourtruth.com. I also sell my sticky notes on my website at recognizeyourtruth.com. If you are looking to launch a podcast and you want to know step-by-step how to do it, I have a course that is starting in January, but I have a free guidebook on how to launch a podcast where I put a lot of great content and information in there. And you can get that in the show notes. The music is Genuine by Julio Ortiz. Thanks again for listening and have a blessed day.